Hello and welcome to this episode of The Gaming Podcast, the official podcast of Gaming Magazine. You can check out more from Gaming Magazine by visiting GamingMag.com. That's G-A-Y-M-I-N-G Mag.com. And remember, new episodes of The Gaming Podcast come out every two weeks. If you're new to the podcast, please click subscribe so you don't miss another episode. You can also become a patron of Gaming Magazine and benefit from loads of exclusive content, competitions and so much more for just £3. Head to patreon.com forward slash gaming mag. Now, later in the show, I'm going to be joined by representatives from the charity Safe in Our World to talk about their role in promoting positive mental health in gaming. But first, to talk about games we've been playing and news stories we've been reading, I'm joined by Gaming Magazine contributor Ed Nightingale and everyone's favourite streamer, Mia. Welcome. Hello. Hello, everyone. How are you, how are you doing today? Uh, not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, the usual, really. Lockdown life. But uh, but there we go. Yeah, same old, well, same old. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, every day is a uh, struggle, but that's the status quo at the moment. So getting through it, though. Yeah. The, the, the ongoing sort of trevise of... Uh, Lockdown in Britain, not knowing mm. when we can quite meet up with each other, but we can, then you can't, then stay at work, but go at home, but stay at home, then go to work. And it Unless just, you're yeah, part yeah. of the establishment, which means that you can do whatever you want. But Yeah, still. exactly. We should, have, we should have done this episode live from Barnard Castle, shouldn't we? <laughs> yes. Anyway, uh, people in the US will have no context of that. Um, so one of the senior government advisors went on a day trip to a local beauty spot in the north of England, uh, claiming it was to test his eyesight. Um, and so um, loads of people have been out there now um, doing loads of fun things from uh, the castle in question, uh, including um, the, the beer brand Brewdog, um, who have actually today announced they're launching a new brew uh, called Barnard Castle, uh, which I find oh, really? hilarious and, mm. and amazing, amazing trolling uh, by our by our industries. Now, mm. um, our opening segment is called What's in Your Slot? This is where I ask each guest to talk about the games they've been playing recently. Uh, we have started to generate a sort of regular piece uh, in this area now with sort of Animal Crossing business. Um, do we have any Animal Crossing business to discuss, Ed? Um, I'm slightly bored with it now. I feel like that's really bad to say, but... You're not I... alone in that. I, I'm, yeah. I'm kind of like coming up with excuses to keep playing the game through different means uh which actually brings me to uh <laughs> one big thing uh, i've started time traveling uh in mm. animal crossing uh, but that's oh. that's more so through frustration <laughs> than anything else um so as everybody knows because we all play animal crossing uh, if you want to get anything done in the game, there's like time gating mechanics because it's a real time game. So say you want to like move a house, you have to wait until the next day for it to be moved or, you know, wait for a rock to spawn in. Again, you have to wait until the next day at 4 a.m. when it spawns. So I got a little bit frustrated waiting for that because for the past like several weeks, probably to a month, which is almost half the time I've been playing the game. I've had mannequins set up all over my island to try and spawn rocks in, in one particular area. And uh, I, it, it's, it's gotten to the point where I've wanted to throw my switch across the room. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I decided, okay, I'm just going to time travel and just move the days forward until they just go in the right place. Because in, invariably, 
what was happening is that the mannequins wouldn't be set up correctly and it would spawn like next to a flower bed somewhere and then you'd have to break it and then wait the next day. It's a very tedious process. But um, it's kind of like open that up as well. It's like, I don't know if I'm going to be considering that cheating. I don't know if people consider time travel. I know pe there is like a big discussion about if time travel is cheating as well. Um, but apparently the developers are fine with it. And at this point, I think I've gotten so much out of the game and I've played the game as intended to the point where I just want to do what I want now, honestly. There was, there was some veiled, um, there was some veiled threats early on that if you did time travel, you'd get stung with like more weeds and, uh, mm. people would, and the villagers and stuff would hate you and that sort of thing. But I, I don't, I don't think that's materialized. I remember seeing a video of somebody that time traveled 20 years into the future um and they came out of their that they emerged from their house like with long hair and a beard and they had sort of like they had like wrinkle lines put on their forehead or something that they had to rub off or or whatever it was and then the, the um the villagers that were all suspiciously still there and hadn't changed or anything yeah um we're all thinking like you'd been lost at sea or something um and well, that's people amazing. were amazing sort of, yeah it's, it's actually worth doing just for the sort of they obviously the developers obviously prepared for it because mm -hmm they sort of put in these sort of systems. But I guess it's not just that. It's just preparing longevity for people that do put it down for a year or something. But Yeah, yeah. I'm just not sure exactly what I'm working towards. Um, what I really want is the art gallery, but the Fox guy, I can't remember his name, um, he's only come twice, and the second time it was all fake. And when the Mona Lisa's got dodgy eyebrows, you know it's a fake painting. <laughs> Um, so I'm desperate to fill that up and that's not happening. And then um, I'd obviously want to aim towards five stars. And the only way to do that is to shove a load of junk all over your island. And I'm quite happy with flowers and trees. And apparently that's not good enough for my villagers. So I'm like, screw you. <laughs> I'll just keep yeah. catching some just more leave. sea bass. <laughs> I've actually managed to like fall from a three star rating to a two star rating uh, over the course of like trying to develop my island. So at this point, I'm like, oh, it'll happen when it happens. I'm not trying to uh, rush getting to five stars. I just want to decorate my island and just make it as lovely as possible. But it's I think it's been... interesting. Sorry. It's been quite fun working on like little projects. Like uh, I just finished a, a rock garden now that I have my rocks in position to like to have all that stuff done. And which is why I don't think I mind the time travel thing now, because if it just helps me develop parts of the island, then I think it's fine to do that. I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I don't see it as cheating at all. I think it's just playing around with the system and doing what you want to do. Um, mm. I think the idea on Sims, even if you play in the Sims and you you use the cash cheat or something that's not really cheating because you just want to you might w want to use well it's by definition i suppose but you, but you want to maybe get cash to do some specific project or whatever. it's kind of like opening up like that game's version of minecraft's creative mode i guess you just want to yeah. build stuff yeah. which is yeah exactly yeah. To play the game too yeah. exactly so. and it's not necessarily just you've done the life sim or you don't even want to do the life sim you just want to have fun in the game Mm -hmm. um yeah I, I i don't see that as a huge problem um what's the interesting issue i had early on was like seeing everybody else's islands like and all the like spoiler content i guess like all this yeah. stuff coming in the future then and you're just sitting there with like a deserted island with some sticks and uh a tent and you're like oh god i wish i had all this cool stuff but i guess i'm i'm playing the game as in as intended quote unquote so i i yeah. learned early on to sort of like not have island envy Mm. Um, I think island envy is risky. 
Um, yeah. And and it is it was fairly obvious who's been time traveling because within two weeks of the game dropping, I just about have managed to de-weed the place. Thank you, Ed. Um, and uh, yeah, sort of friends of mine have got like a replica of the Sistine Chapel erected or something. And it's just like, no, we're not. <laughs> you're obviously not playing this honestly in the, in the direction <laughs> that you're meant to be playing it because you seem to be suspiciously further ahead than I am. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like that, that was like a fundamental thing I... I kind of took issue with because, like, I super hate spoilers, and I, I, I kind of felt like part of the experience was robbed a little bit. So, that, so I had to like walk away from Twitter at that point. I'm like, I'm not looking at any more Animal Crossing stuff. I'm just going to work on my stuff and be happy about that. Um, it also bugs me as well that people are sort of they're going like I, I visited an island the other day just to go and cash in my turnips, mm. um, and this guy had sort of like he'd laid paths everywhere. He'd put fence. He'd put his hedges down either side of the paths, and there was a finite route around the island. Like you can't just run across a field, um, like Theresa yeah. May running through a field of corn. Um, but it, it's just sort of um, this really sort of prescriptive kind of like you've got to go here, here, and here. And somebody else that I saw on Twitter had literally just covered his island or their island in floor. Um, and it's just like, you are, this is meant to be, A, this is meant to be a desert island. So let's, my island is quite natural. Like the main sort of area has got some paths and stuff. But beyond that, mm. it just becomes a field again. But B, the mechanics of laying paths is possibly the worst mechanic in a video game ever. And it's the most it's frustrating one. Yeah, mm. you, and if you press the wrong fucking button, it, it it sweeps the old floor. Do you want to pick something up, or do you want to sweep that path you've taken half hour laying? Oh, oh no, God. let's just like, sweep the path up. <laughs> oh, no. I feel like yeah, like at this point now, the 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 little tiny frustrating things about the mechanics of Animal Crossing, and they just they they just build and have, have become yeah. like fully blown. Why can't I just get past this Nintendo? Did any of you see that like fake uh, quality of life update trailer? that this uh, content creator put out. No. It's like literally they got some um, voice voiceover actors to like do all the talking and stuff, but it was like a fake upcoming trailer for all these like quality of life changes. You could like have a uh, a path put down, but it would show you where your path was going to go down. You could just hold the button, just put all yep. the pathing down and stuff. Yep. And it's like, oh, there's so many good things. There's an app for the online, so you can just put your settings in in the app instead rather than having to go all the way to, to the... Um, the airport and it's like i want all these things and uh obviously nintendo being nintendo mm. i doubt they'll ever deliver that because no because i mean, let, I mean to. as you say like e even with like sims or whatever going way back to the year dot that the idea of constructing paths and constructing fences and stuff is literally point and click drag um mm. there's your path sorted whereas of course animal crossing in its cutesy kind of way you have to put down bloody fence by fence and i hate laying fencing because i can never put it in the right damn place mm. in the first place i read somewhere think... that isabel apparently loves fencing and that helps you to get a higher rating and i'm like i don't yeah, want to be boxed in fence. do not box me in i don't want fencing <laughs> you just have to create a, a secret part of your island for just all the fences just like put it behind a wall somewhere and it's just nothing but fence <laughs> No, it's, sad. The, um... it's a sad state of affairs that we sort of got to the sort of boredom threshold as well already because I think now I just, I, I literally, it's become a process. I log on in the morning, check mm. turnip prices, do the chores, turn it off. And the second I'm done, it's turned off. And it, it's become so much more of a sort of a, an almost an obligation of like, I'm going to turn, yeah. turn I've got to do my shit and then I'll turn it off sort of thing. 
I'll check in at lunch, check the turnip prices, and they're still shit, right? That's that done. I do feel like, which is, this is obviously the, like, the reason that I've started doing the time travel stuff as well. It's like, if I can just dedicate a couple of days a week playing the game rather mm. than having to check in every single day, um, I think, like, it just makes the game, it's definitely elongating the process of, like, playing the game for me. It's like, it's nice just to be able to do stuff in a chunk and then just go and do something else rather than having to come back on the daily, It's which is such a slog. So and I don't, And I don't think that, that Nintendo have figured out a good event yet either. No, they've all been Bunny, a bit Bunny Day was awful, time. like mm. the worst. Uh, Earth Day was just pointless. Um, I actually now... like the Sakura Blossom Festival, but like it's it's like you had that overlapping with Bunny Day, so it was like kind of yeah, moved. exactly. Sorry. And and we're currently on the museum week or whatever it was, mm. um, which was the cute sort of stamp thing. But again, it's just like do it once, collect all your stamps. Cool, that's a, mm -hmm. that's 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 fifteen minutes of your life gone. And yeah, then it's he pretty said, much the same oh, every day. That's it. He said you can. Oh, don't worry, you can do it all again tomorrow for another week. And then specifically in game, Blathers says, but there aren't any new prizes. It's like, <laughs> what's the fucking no. point in doing this? With it? Let's let's just go around and collect different yeah. stamps. It's it's all good. Um, I actually quite like the, uh, I think it's the May Day event where you got to go to that island and solve that little maze. Like, I think out of the events, as short as that yes, was. Yes, actually. Yes. That was a lot of Good fun. point. Yes. Mm -hmm. But my, my issue with that one was um, there was a bit of confusion over where how many times you can go to that island. Mm. Um, and my understanding was it was the initial, the initial release said you can go on multiple sort of May Day trips over the weekend or something. So you could go on like a maximum right. of five or whatever, which you could do. You could you could keep checking in and keep getting your new ticket. Um, but then I thought, OK, cool. So it's a different puzzle a day. That would be cool. A different that maze island yeah. per day. Whereas when you get sent to the same island and because you've done it all already, that's it. You're done. So mm. it's just like, again, it's just it could have been. It's so close to being more interactive. Um, mm. And it's just like, I don't know how many times we have to do the same fishing tournament um, yeah. just for the sake of doing something different. Yeah, Talking it feels like quietly. we either get... Sorry, it just, we either seem to get Bunny Day where it's really excessive or it's like a stamp rally of stamp something three times and get a crappy prize yeah. every day. And they haven't quite hit the balance for something in between. So well, I think we need a big event to get everyone back into it again. Just not bunny day. No more eggs. Mm, definitely no more eggs. Tilting slightly, how do you feel about um, the, the content distribution method they have at this point? Like the gated off content for like different events in the year and stuff. Like does that... Like how spaced apart those those are, and and how it feels more like a live service game now, more mm. so than ever. Like you you literally have no access to the content that's supposed to be in the game, until it's patched in by Nintendo. Do you think that's just giving them a chance to work on more stuff over the I, course of the year? Or I, yeah, I would I, I would hope they're making the most of it now, being um, the the sort of the the update based live production as you say i i, mm. I do I, i'd hope that i mean they did listen obviously with bunny day they managed to sort of like reduce down the frequency of catching fucking eggs um yeah. mm. but it, so they're obviously sort of like listening and they're adapting i guess they're making the most of the modern technology of being able to push updates mm -hmm. um and yeah if something happens I, I imagine that they'll be able to do something that's more reactive and hopefully as the year goes on and as the events continue 
they'll they're listening to the feedback it's to be fair it's, mm. it's exactly what i would have done which is like you keep you come up with maybe the first six months of, of events and then just start adapting from there so i'd imagine now they've been working on christmas um and and maybe they've already learned some lessons about what does and doesn't work yeah. uh, from from that point of view so yeah i'd like I to think, think my... they're more reactive that way um like you say and that they can listen to fan feedback and and do something that that works better and they've got more time um, I guess maybe that's also a slight deterrence for time traveling as well, um, that you can try mm. and time travel to Christmas, but nothing will happen. Um, so yeah. maybe it's a slight deterrence for that too. One of the things that um, I've kind of like realized over the course of playing the game is like being an Animal Crossing fan and playing all the other Animal Crossing games is that this game has some fantastic quality of life updates in terms of like giving you control over things, giving you a way to develop your island with terraforming and all that. But the, the game still kind of feels like a little bit more of a, like a shallow experience, like specifically content that used to be in older versions of the game now being rolled out as like updates, for instance, like gyroids in the ground. And I'm not sure if you did you play the other Animal Crossing games or I played um, New Leaf. Yeah, a, li a little bit. So, so the content that would have been in those games, again, like all the Nintendo stuff as well, like certain villages, like you get Wolf Link from like yeah. scanning in amiibos and stuff, like Nintendo shirts, like which is kind of what got me into the game in the first place. Like you can get Samus's helmets and and all these kind of things, the Master Sword uh, from the Legend of Zelda, and that's just missing from this game. Like one of the villagers who wears a Mario shirt, he just wears the red hoodie now. So. Yeah, it's. It, it ha that I, I have noticed that there's been less of overlap, as you say. Mm. Pre previous games, um, I remember them having e even in New Leaf early on in New Leaf, they had certain T-shirts and stuff where they referred to the sort of like the, the Mario T-shirt was like the boss T-shirt or something, the boss man T-shirt. Mm -hmm. um, there's just no. You're right. There's something I hadn't really noticed, but there's no or very little uh overlap with sort of like other nintendo titles and stuff and i i feel that's like missing um a bit of a shame really um, yeah i do miss I the nes games it. from the original because on the the original gamecube you yeah. could collect nes games yeah. and play them and that would be pretty oh. awesome i know we've got nes online and everything but that would be great to be able to play them because you know i've got a nice arcade cabinet in my in one of my rooms and it just makes annoying uh -huh. noises and i can't play it <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's self. Yeah, you're right. Actually, that that feels like an opportunity missed. Yeah, it just it just like some of it feels so hollow, and maybe it's just me asking for too much. But having the content that was in the older versions of the game just seems like something that should be there. And have and not knowing if that's going to get added in and when that's going to be added in, that's 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 kind of like really put a damper on the experience. But you know, I'm still enjoying it. So it's just uh, I think it's something so that... many little things. Um, I, I, maybe they've got a little little armory of of sort of tricks, like up their sleeve that they can deploy. Um, mm. If they if they notice people are starting to sort of peter off, they can maybe sort of fast track in uh, some aspects or something. So, mm -hmm. right, good good Animal Crossing updates. Um, I'm going to talk about some other games. Uh, so Minecraft Dungeons came out this week. Um, it is a dungeon crawler set in the world of Minecraft and uh what does that mean <laughs> well what what indeed um think sort of very basic diablo meets minecraft 
Now, right. it, there's there's no so far. I mean, I've only played like the first couple of levels. There's no construction or design elements to it. Um, so it's mm. not Minecraft in that sense. It's just more stylistically Minecraft. So it's like um, a, a Diablo or a Torchlight with a Minecraft skin. Yeah, so. Basically, yeah, mm. very very blocky, typical Minecraft, bit of humor, um, and then yeah, it's literally run, 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 kill, 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 stab, stab, stab. But it's 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 almost that kind of almost Lego ish kind of take mm. on uh, violence in the sense that it, it there's there is no violence. It's like you swing a sword and they just disappear. Um, so it's part of me sort of like thinks it was cute for about half an hour, but then it kind of like got to like this is really simple. Yeah, Re- like really yeah. simple. Like you swing a sword and they die once, one hit, one, and you like you're at level one and you're killing oh, people with one hit sort of thing. And it's like, like the... I was really looking forward to like giving that a go as well. I'm not a massive Minecraft fan, but like in terms of it's like, cute, again, it, it the was aesthetic, cute. Like I'm, I'm hoping that they expand cute. it. Yeah, I, I'm I'm hoping that using the sort of Minecraft model, um, they expand it. There's there's a talk of the fact like I got it on it's on uh, Xbox Game Pass at the moment, so I downloaded it off of there. Um, but that's the first basic sort of package, which I, th- I believe off the top of my head is the first 10 levels. Um, and then you have to buy more levels for each one. So that's interesting. Um, it's priced accordingly, I believe. So it's like £20 for the base, the base game, and then you pay uh, a bit on top for each bit you want to add on. But So that was what, yeah, play it. It's a bit of fun. Um, if you're into that sort of stylistic stuff, great. If you're into a, quite a challenging dungeon crawler, then you're not going to... Uh, so far, y- you're not going to get satisfied uh, easily by that. I confess I've never played a Minecraft game at all. I think I just don't have the creativity behind it. He says getting into Animal Crossing, but um, <laughs> I just don't feel like I've got the creativity to really make use of that. So something with more of a story is something I'd be more likely to play. But like you're saying, if that's then really simplistic, then it seems like a wasted opportunity. Yeah. It, yes, absolutely. And and the the thing is, the Minecraft element um, is purely the aesthetic. Um, there's there is no crafting. What would have been clever would be a bit more Legoy, um, and actually sort of build in crafting into into the mechanics. Like you would have thought I, that I, would be the point of a game yeah, like that that's as it. well. Yeah. I, I genuinely was expecting. Um, in the same way that with Lego, you play through, then you have to construct something to sort of beat a boss or whatever. Um, mm. I, I genuinely felt like this was a dungeon crawler, basic dungeon crawler, uh, but with the construction kind of fun constructor sort of elements built into it still. But it, it on paper, or at least on the, the sort of half hour preview that play that I, I had uh, yesterday, um, it's purely the aesthetic. So it's the sort of the blocks kind of aesthetic. Which... Is there at least anything in the way of puzzles? Like you hit nope. a, like a, a switch and it nope. does a thing. No. Oh, wow. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's legitimately it's, disappointing. It, oh, it's no. literally running and stabbing and shooting a bow. Um, mm. And look, I might be doing it a disservice. Like I said, I've only played half hour. That only really uh, sort of made up to maybe like two or three levels in total. But you'd have thought that the first couple of levels to try to sort of. Um, as a welcome to the game, you, you would expect them to go through some of the sort of basic uh, mechanics of it. Um, and if that was, if that was included, like constructions, if it included uh, other Minecrafty design elements, you'd have thought they'd just run at that. But 
it, or at least create ways to complete a puzzle or create a weapon or you know you can block an attack create by a building up Brilliant. something yeah. around you or something yeah. like that it's it's bringing that crafting mm. element in there yeah, creating weapons is a brilliant idea. an enchantment idea. table at some point, so you could enchant the weapon as well and give it different stats. That would be... You know, that, they that's did. A... They do have enchantments. Oh, they so do you... have enchantments. Yeah, okay, so cool. you collect little enchantments and you sort of like level up your weapons, but that's no more than what any other dungeon crawler would do anyway, uh, mm. picking, picking up fresh weapons or picking up buffs or whatever. That's not that that's not a uniquely Minecraftian... If that, I've just invented a new term. <laughs> Minecraftian. Um, Minecraftian sort of game. Um, Can't wait till the uh, Minecraftian horror game. That's uh, <laughs> That'll be an interesting one. Um, and what else have I played? Oh, I played... Uh, I, I got What the Golf uh, on Nintendo Switch. Now, What the Golf came out last year on mobile through Apple Arcade. And mm. it is, I, I believe, actually, I think, Ed... Uh, on the first podcast that you were on, so maybe our second or third podcast, I believe I mentioned it when we were talking about mobile games because it got nominated for a shit ton of awards. Uh, that sounds a familiar, years, yeah. A couple of years ago, and it was when you and me and Shay, I think, were sat in a podcast studio in London. And it, the genius of it is it's a golf game for people that hate golf. So the, the mechanic is such that you sort of, you have to put the ball in the hole. That's golf. But the first time you do it, you the club pulls back. You put the you put the ball. The ball goes in the hole. The second level, it looks like that's what you have to do. So you pull the club back, um, and then you let go, and then the club maybe goes flying off, and then you discover it's the club that you have to get into the hole. And the next time you you do it again, and the the person goes flying off, and you have to get that into that. Then the hole starts moving around. Then you have to hit a cat or something, and it it becomes. It starts off at a very simple level and then just gets progressively wackier um, to, mm. a, to the extent that it's actually not a golf game because then it breaks off into probably what I would also describe as, a, as almost a sort of an exploration thing where you have to put the ball around a level. So you explore this level around the golf, the, the, the uh, golf science center. Um, so you sort of, you, if you were playing as a character, you would be walking the character, but you're not. So you're putting the ball around this golf thing trying to sort of find the next challenge or complete a puzzle or something all still with a, a basic mechanic of golf uh putting but it becomes something a lot bigger and better than just a boring golf game so that's a little shout out to what the golf i think i want that out of a golf game honestly it, it genuinely is funny it's hilarious mm. um and then the, so it just gets wackier and wackier and then just gets stupider and stupider and the replayability is actually really good as well because each level that you play uh, then has sort of like um, you, you can then sort of be completionist. Uh, it has sort of like some smaller challenges, and you can get a crown for each level if you complete three challenges based on that level sort of thing. So actually, it's from what's inherently a quite a simple premise, it actually becomes a, quite an in-depth uh, game. So yes, quick shout out to that. So that's my that's the games I've been playing. What about you, Ed? So at the moment, I'm playing Final Fantasy VI. Uh, which I actually began playing at the start of lockdown and then got distracted by Final Fantasy VII. Um, so we'll we'll come back to that one later. Um, so I'm in the middle of that. It's it's old school. It's it's not super difficult, but very old school design. I would love to see a remake of it. Um, I think it's got a really interesting world that would be great in in 3D and HD. Um, but what I've just finished is Nier Automata, and 
on paper, it's very much my kind of game. It's it's from Platinum, um, so you know it's got great battles, great sense of style. Um, it's got this really beautiful, mournful soundtrack to it, um, and a really intriguing story. Um, it's typical sci-fi, you know, what what makes us human? It's all about androids. Um, but it's really interesting. It's really well done. I still feel a little bit underwhelmed by it. Um, which I know is against a lot of people's opinions. A lot of people absolutely sort of rave rave about it. Um, and I do love a lot of elements to it. I love that it is a slave to its to its concept and its theme. It's all about androids and everything about it, from the menus to the really cool washed out visuals. Um, everything screams Android and the way you level up, you have your sort of computer core and you collect chips that you can use to customize your character, but you can only have so many at a time and they take up different amounts of space. Um, so it's really clever. And there's also a really interesting trophy system where when you complete the game, you can use your in-game currency to buy any trophies that you missed. So for instance, there's one for looking up the skirt of the Android, because of course there is, um, which I refuse to do, so I paid for it instead. Um, so I've got the Platinum, but not through proper gameplay. Um, I think what irritated me about it is the overabundance of side quests. And the world itself is interesting, but when you've run around it a million times, it's quite drab and quite dull. And the side quests are very much go here, kill this, collect that. It's just not very exciting. And for me, it just really dragged out the pacing of the game. Um, and what was a really interesting story, by the end of it, I was like, I just, I just want this over with um, because I was just so done with doing boring side quests. Um, so it sort of really marred the game for me, which was really disappointing. And just before that, I was playing Assassin's Creed Origins, which again, full of side quests, um, go to all the question marks. And I feel like at the moment, every game I play, a lot of open world games are just full of side quests and I'm just, I'm side quest fatigued. I feel like it, it really, <laughs> it really ruins games and ruins the pacing. Um, and I'd much rather have a really cute four or five hour game with a focus story that just does something really well and isn't bloated. Well, that's the thing, really, isn't it? Like when you're when you're talking about side quests in general, there are two types of side quests. There are side quests that are just to pad the runtime, just to give you something to do during, like, just so you don't blaze through the main story. Um, and those are usually like quite throwaway. Like you have your fetch quests and like missions where you're uh, taking an NPC from one area to the other. Can't remember what those are called. Um, but like, I think what makes a side quest like uh generally more engaging i guess is like if it's uh building the world or building the lore in some way of that world like uh, i never played it but i heard i heard like the witcher does like in terms of uh quests and stuff the witcher does that quite well because like all of those quests is more like a a small story more so than just uh just again going and, and fetching Killing some rats, for instance. I think, like, the main one is always, oh, yeah, kill some rats. And I think uh, Final Fantasy VII, the game that I've been playing recently, has a, a similar issue to that. Some of the side quests are great. Like, you go to a place, you fight something, and that's usually what it is. You go to a place that you fight something. Um, but the, the best side quests in that game are the ones where you're actually, like, exploring a location or doing something for someone that's developing the lore of an area, like... Uh, 
War Market, for instance, this is this great CD location in both the original Final Fantasy VII and and really like expanded upon in the remake. But like the some of the best times I had was was running around with a uh, a side character that recurs throughout the game called Johnny, and he's he's hilarious, um, and like just going on little missions with him. That was it. It was so much uh, fun to do that. So I think I feel like. Lazy implementation of side quests, like that definitely ruins games more so than anything else. Like, but if it's done right, then then it's done right. It's so sad to hear that like most developers will just like throw in something to pad the pad pad the runtime. I mean, yeah, I can I... forgive I can forgive a side quest um, if the world is exciting. And for me, I think a lot of people found Final Fantasy VII a little bit bloated in side quests. For me, I just love the world and the characters so much that I can forgive it anything, to be honest, apart from the ending. Um, but, you know, with I, th- I think a good side quest is is one where it makes sense for the character. So to your point on The Witcher, you know, he goes around and he takes contracts to help people and kill monsters. And each one of those is its own little story that makes sense for the character because it's his job. Whereas if you're an android trying to save the world, why are you fishing? Or... You know, in True. I had a similar a similar issue with Astral Chain. You know, you're playing as a sexy anime cop, yet here I am picking up litter. Like it, it just doesn't make <laughs> sense for that character. Yeah, it's the same with them. Um, I've been playing my way through uh, Red Dead Two again, um, for want of nothing better to do. Um, th- I'd say that sort of like seventy five percent of the side quests and stuff are all, as you say, me a world building kind of side quest. So you are sort of genuinely doing something that's related to the story. Or you're, um, it's difficult actually in Red Dead to define what a side quest is because the way it's obviously structured is like Grand Theft Auto. You you play multiple things all at once that are more or less all converging on the same point anyway. But mm. they have like real side quests, like all the fishing challenges, ignore them. Uh, the hunting challenges, ignored them. Um, and the good thing is, I think 90% of what the side those side challenges, you can just ignore them. You don't have to play them to level up. You don't have to play them to sort of... There's nothing in the later in the game where you have to sort of like fish for your life or something. Um, It genuinely is just something you can do if you wanted to kill time. Um, So if if that's your thing, great. If it's not, fine. I think some of the more frustrating things that happen, (laughs) that happen, like you say, Ed, about sort of like... uh, Or me, I think it was actually, uh, that sort of said about transporting NPCs. You could be heading over, uh, minding your own business on your way to do a mission, and then somebody's sort of like some helpless person is on the side of the road um, who's bro- bust their ankle. So you, you being gentlemanly, uh, I'm trying to be a good cowboy, uh, get off and, and help them. And they're like, Oh, can you take me home? And it's like, Where do you live? And it's like, On the other side of the map. And I'm like, For fuck's sake. <laughs> God. Yes, fine. Get on the horse. Let's go. Um, and it's just sort of like, I, I dumped one. I got bored. I just threw him off a cliff. Um, and it's just sort of like, I just, nothing, nothing to do. Uh, but yeah, so I, I get that and I get sort of a lot of sides of that coin. Um, and, but everybody knows that side quests are good for leveling you up and you need that level up for later in the game. Also, I just see a list of things to do and I have to do everything and I can't ignore, <laughs> like if there's one question mark, I'm like, I can't ignore that. I have to do it. And then it's something really boring and I've wasted my time, but at least I did it. And at least I ticked it off. Mm. Very good. Mia, what have you been playing? Uh so I've uh, I've been playing I've been dabbling uh in the last couple of weeks in a, in a in a bunch of different stuff. 
Um, I played Crucible for like all of a couple of hours, so which is the new game uh, fresh out of Amazon Studios. Yeah, the new Amazon. Um, that's Amazon. interesting. It's only been advertised, right? Yeah, no, it's <laughs> weird. Like you think like Amazon owns this platform called Twitch, right? And you'd think that if they're releasing a new game, it would be like put up on like the front page of Twitch or something, or it would at least get some kind of tie-in with with uh, Twitch Prime, some free loot in the game or something. But no, there's nothing. It's a free-to-play game. It's easy to jump into. Um, but there, there's been like no advertisement for it. Like even on the uh, even on Steam on release date, it was. I had to go to the free-to-play section. I had to go and find it in order to download it. It's in the free-to-play section, like, one of the tabs in there, but it's like, okay, well, do you actually care about this game? Like, this is meant to be, like, your first baby that you're putting out from your studio, and it's just seemed, like, marketing-wise, it's a bit underwhelming, I guess. Is it just on PC, or is it on consoles, is it? I have no idea. That's the thing, too. Like, I played it on PC. I have no idea if it's on consoles. Um, maybe I would know if they were marketed it, but um, exactly. it's an interesting game, though. Uh, again, free to play. Uh, jump right in. It's like a hero shooter, third person hero shooter mixed with um, uh, tower capture, I guess. So okay. the aim of the game is that you're on this map, you're going around. Um, it's kind of like pulling some inspirations from your. Um, MOBAs, so your entire team is gaining experience over the course of the game, and that unlocks more abilities if you get to the next section. In order to do that, you have to go and capture points around the map in order to uh, feed like experience into your team. But uh, the aim of the actual game is to capture these big living towers called hives. And if you kill these hives, then you get to capture their heart. And so the game is the games are pretty quick usually. They last probably around like. 10 to 20 minutes depending on who you're playing against and how good you are at it Mm. but um you have to go and capture these areas get your xp up go and capture these living towers called hives but the interesting thing is that these hives are spawned in random locations and they can also fight back and so you have to deal with the opposing team on the other side so i think it's two teams of four and um, or I think there's a different game mode as well where you can have teams with two, but I've not touched that yet. But um, you have to defeat the hives and try and defeat each other too because after the hive is killed and it drops the heart, but you have to interact with the heart of the hive and like pick that up over a period of time. So the the team fights are very like interesting. You're just like trading uh, lives and just struggling to pick up this thing in the middle and you kind of have to figure out what's the best tactic here. Do we go in on the hive and fight the hive first? Or do we clear out the enemy? Or do we wait for them to make a move and as they're fighting it, come in and then take them out? Like, there's a lot of, like, tactics there, which I think is has been incredibly interesting, more so than your um, regular just first-person shooter where you, like, run in, say, like, Overwatch. Uh, each character has their own unique abilities because it's... Uh, it's got those hero type characters from hero mm. shooters. Um, I love playing as this little robot and it's the only character that I can be bothered to play. Um, I played this big, massive tank boy in uh, who's like this alien tank called, I think his name is Hank or something, but he carries like a minigun, which has a jet engine strapped to the back. Um, but like, I really hated the way that he controlled, but there's this uh, floating little like B-esque robot that I play as. And it's all about like setting down uh, like mini turrets and stuff. So that's very, very cool Sweet. to play. And you can like release like toxic gas. Uh, that whole experience 
has been awesome and definitely worth checking out the game if they're not going to bother advertising it. Um, We've I just think given them could... five minutes of advertising. So, I mean, that's yeah. more, more than what their yeah. marketing teams put out. I've loved it so far. And like, I, I just, you know, nothing's really drawing me back into that because it doesn't seem to have like taken hold of anybody mm. yeah so. which is stupid because amazon as you say with being owning twitch you'd have thought they'd have mm. flooded every single twitch partner yeah with their, co- they have, with like, their the code to, like partnerships and say, go and, and play like this that. immediately mm-hmm. but that there's Weird. there's been nothing i mean regardless of the um, marketing do you think it can compete with other similar games or are they just too uh, far on in terms of the mindshare i i don't i realistically this seems like something that's going to disappear after a couple of months like it doesn't seem like something that's going to have legs unfortunately and maybe that's why it hasn't been marketed maybe mm. like amazon saw that beforehand and just thought we're just going to send it out to die instead it was an interesting it might it uh, might literally just be but... just testing the water that they mm. well, I, I guess it's a question of like if you're launching something new do you sort of launch with like your best new game or do you launch with something that should be fairly comfortable for the community to get their head into um mm. and i guess there's a debate on both sides of that one but i i think yeah anything that's competing in a direct sort of space is overwatch or apex or whatever which it sounds like i i think is is doomed to failure anyway because i think people yeah. most people have got bored with overwatch let alone like, anything else i say between between overwatch apex and like say fortnite like that mm. space it's like it's so hard to like bring in something new but if you There's think that anybody could gap, do it let's say is there <laughs> yeah if anybody could do it you think like amazon with like that company could at least try but I guess like that that just isn't on the cards. Like it doesn't mm. seem like they they care all that much. Um, and the problem is, than... it, it looks like they're obviously going down the sort of free to play and cash on top mm. kind of uh, model, which doesn't surprise me given given Amazon. Um, yeah, you've got your loot boxes in there. You've got your you've got your uh, battle passes and stuff mm. like that. So yeah, not really shaking up the industry there. Let's exactly. Just say that. Exactly. Mm. So you mentioned you're One... playing Final Fantasy as well. Yes, one thing that I have like completed now, and I've not done hard mode yet, but I've completed the, like the main game is uh, Final Fantasy VII. I spent about 47, 48, 49 hours, something like that, in, in the world of, uh, well, may as well be the world of Midgar now. Um, and like I've just like loved mostly every second of it. There are some bugbearers that I can get onto. Um, but it's interesting because like I don't know how much we wanted to get into spoilers or anything like that if we care about like spoiling oh, the game here it's or... been out it's been out for a while so spoiler alert if you haven't finished it turn it off now but come back in a bit but uh yeah we'll, we'll, we'll go with it i mean other than like the problems that it does have like we mentioned too many side quests um just basically i mean that was the main thing padding there seems to be a lot of padding in the game like areas that should be sure to like the runtime is now stretched out. There's a there's a there's an integral part of the game where you are trying to get back to Sector Seven where you're from in order to stop this uh, shady corporate organization Shinra from like dropping a section of a, a big metal plate and just flattening the whole of where you live. And in the original, it's great. Like you you find out about it and then you try and rush back through two small sections straight to the plate so like it's constantly like you, you okay this is the aim but in this new version these two small sections are like lengthened out to half an hour 
areas. And it's and by the time I gotten to the ghost train yard, uh, it's like, oh wait, oh yes, we're supposed to be going back to stop the 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 plate from being attacked. And it would it just kind of lost its impact a little bit. And like there are moments during the game that just do this. Like when it actually comes down, like in the original game, it's like so somber. There's no music playing or anything like that. And in this new version, like there's some action packed music playing while you're like swinging down away from the plate and all the somber stuff does come but afterwards but like it just loses that for lack of a better word gravitas um of, of like some of the more impactful moments of the original which is unfortunate but like as as a game overall i've loved the experience um the ending was interesting uh but i quite i quite enjoyed it i like the direction that they're going in because like again spoilers this game isn't so much a remake as it is a sequel, I guess, like a retelling, but also a sequel. There's a lot of stuff going on there, and I'm not sure what Ed thought of the uh, of the ending, how you feel about that. I was not a fan, and I think maybe that's partly because I'm a big fan of the original, so part of me is like, mm. don't touch it, don't change anything. Um, I think for me, because of the episodic structure... It was obvious, having played the original, that that's the point they're going to end on, but that's not necessarily ending on a big boss battle or, you know, a big climax necessarily. Um, so I sort of feel like the ending's been shoehorned in in order to provide some sort of climax to the current story, um, but I don't think it was well done. It feels just very thrown in and, and not part of what came before. Um, so I was... I really enjoyed it for all the points you've mentioned up until the ending and then I it just lost me. Also that last boss is really really hard and took me too many goes to do which then really infuriated me knowing I'm so close to finishing it and I'm spending two hours having to do the same boss three times and it just mm. annoyed me. I, I kind of like I see what you mean like I love the story that they're kind of going for I love the idea that that the developers have been so like kind of they feel kind of held back that they have to create like a one-to-one -one recreation of the original and like their implementation of the uh the the whispers for instance are just them saying okay the whispers are the fans who want a one-to-one -one remake of the original we're gonna kill the fans and just do what we want <laughs> which is pretty much like the point of that and i guess like it's um if you see this as its own thing uh, and like not like a one-to-one -one recreation of the original game, like I'm kind of all for it just because this means that I, I don't know what's going to happen. But I also think that's the problem that a lot of people are having too is that it's modern day Square Enix and just l most of the stuff they do now just seems like it's like modern Final Fantasy is not the same as like it was back in the day. Um, I sound like an old person back in back my in game, Final Fantasy. It was so good. No, um, but like, uh, it's far from the days of Squaresoft. Let's just say that. Like, most modern Final Fantasy stuff isn't isn't the best. So trusting that team to implement new stuff and and things that are different from the original is a scary prospect. And there's kind of a little bit of backup of that with how badly implemented you could say that the ending was. Like how confusing things are narratively as well you have big giant darkness creatures coming out of nowhere you're thinking oh what is this kingdom hearts now what is this but yeah it's um 
there there's there's definitely some some issues that you can take away from that. But I'm personally I'm hopeful. Like I've really enjoyed the changes so far. I know that some of this stuff narratively at least was badly implemented. There's there's issues with with uh, combat mechanics. Air combat is is dreadful. Um terrible there are so many like quality of life changes that need to be changed for the next one and of course you have the worries as well uh, of, of well how many games is this going to take to get this story out will will the will the systems that they're even working with now you, i think they're what unreal 4 they developed in i believe um is that going to be like are they going to be upgraded at some point to unreal 5 and by the time that comes out they're going to have to go back and re-remake the original game to bring it up to the same standard now it's, it's a it's, remaster of a remaster exactly it's uh, it's all a little bit worrying and i guess that uncertainty is definitely that's that's sitting with me too and i'm not sure how you feel about that ed i mean ultimately the original game still exists and if mm -hmm. the if this reimagining succeeded in one thing it was making me want to go back and play the original for like the millionth time mm. um because it just re sort of ignited that in me so i'm more than happy for them to reimagine it take things in a new direction see what happens let's have an interesting new take on it and if you don't like that then go and play the original again it's it's not going anywhere um it, it's available on pretty much every console so just go and play the original and and enjoy that if you're not happy with it but yeah, my concern is, will we finally get the conclusion in 20 years' time on, an, you know, three different generations away? Um, will they then have to do a, here's the complete story of, of you know, 500 hours of game, um, which will be interesting to see how they deliver that. So it's Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, basically. A perfectly good story chopped up and elongated out to uh, an excessively long amount of content. So that's something to look forward to. Um, we're going to take a short break. Uh, and we'll be back to talk about all the news we've been reading on gaming after this. Gaming Magazine is about to get a whole lot better. Become a patron of Gaming Magazine and take your love of gaming to a whole new level. We're talking exclusive content, big prizes, and a peek behind the scenes of your favourite gaming magazine with a new patron-only podcast. Plus, you'll be helping us support our wonderful freelance writers. So if you enjoy what we do and want to toss us some coin, then have we got some juicy stuff just for you. Visit patreon.com forward slash gaming mag now to check out the different tiers and what's on offer. Welcome back. I'm here with Ed and Mia, and this segment is called Best of Gaming, where we talk about our pick of the hottest articles on Gaming Magazine. Ed, what have you been reading? So I read that there is a new Harry Potter game coming. Uh, which I believe is called Puzzles and Spells. And it's basically a new Harry Potter mobile game that is a match three puzzler, which just oh, seems no, like... Oh, no, that's not... No. Mm. It seems like okay. such a missed mm. opportunity. And, you know, it's this incredible world that, you know, let's not go into J.K. Rowling, but she's still created an amazing world that has uh. so much potential for, for gaming. And, you know, there are some... Some fun games in the past. Let's, you know, we can ignore the PS1 dodgy Hagrid graphics that everyone's seen. Um, I think I played one of the games on PS2, which was quite fun. The Lego games are great. But yep. it feels like, you know, between this and the sort of Pokemon Go Harry Potter one that came out last year that mm -hmm. died a death after a week, yeah. it just feels like such a missed opportunity. It's, it's just being used for crappy free-to-play games when we could have something so much better. Like, why do we not have mm. some... MMO game where 
you know, you can you, you join your house instead of your clan and you yep. go doing quests and, you know, you, yep. you customize your character going through Hogwarts and whatever else. Like, there is so much you can do, and yet we're getting the most basic of mobile games that just feels it's... like such a letdown for fans. I think any any of these sort of uh, IP'd match three kind of games is just the laziest form of game yeah. of game production out there. You see all these games that are like, oh, the new Marvel game, the new this game, the new that game. Um, I can't. Remember, one of my other favorites released one last week as well. There's a, a Star Trek one I think that does that as well, and it's like help so and so battle so and so by matching gems, and it's like, that doesn't fucking work, does it? Obviously, and it's just like yeah, you've got an app, you've got a, you've got a world ripe with possibilities, ripe, and we have yeah. technology that allows this amazing things to happen, and the best we can put together is matching gems up to learn spells, and it's just like shoot me in the face now. Um, it just... I was just thinking, actually, like, how cool would it be to have, like, an adventure game where, again, I don't need Hogwarts. Like, there's so much, like, world there to mm. explore, like, the, the world of, like, Harry Potter in terms of, like, being, like, a magical, like, a, a wizard, maybe someone that's graduated Hogwarts or, or somebody that just exists in that world. Like, do, like, a Jedi Fallen Order type thing yeah. where you're actually going out into the world, yeah. adventuring, fighting, like magical creatures or something like that you know that's that's far more interesting and engaging from like a lore aspect give me you know what give me harry potter dark souls i'll take that i know I everything is a dark soul <laughs> but harry potter dark souls that makes perfect sense like there's a darkness there in this world too in terms of like the way that the world is, is presented especially like in the later films and books mm. that would like fit that kind of thing perfectly absolutely and, and and even the announcement that it was going to be a mobile game, that that didn't fill me with a massive amount of dread because there have been some pretty good mobile games. And mm -hmm. even if it was a, 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 a spell sort of stuff, even if it was just learning spells by sort of using the on-built, uh, on the on-board gyros now that most sort of good phones have um, to sort of like learn waving your phone around to sort of create spells or something, use AR that's that's now being developed sort of like cast spells in real life and stuff it's like and the best they could do is a, a match three gem game it's like just get in the bin mm. awful 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 i feel like like a lot of games like mobile wise now are just like the same game reskin just to sell to a, an audience because they have that ip and yep. it's it's like well let's make as much money as possible as quickly as we can and not put any thought or effort into it we're talking literally just a cash cow the, so. no, no the, the last episode of the podcast we had um gary and jason on from enter the reveries um which mm. is the beautiful art uh hand-drawn art mobile game and i asked them sort of like what was the whole premise of well, what, what was the decision for putting this on mobile and they sort of said they wanted to set out to prove that mobile games aren't just vegas style casinos because in mm. in their view like the, the the app store now has just become like here's a free game come and drain your money into it here's this here's that and it's all just colorful blobs that you have to move around or uh, shoot something or whatever and, and they wanted to set out to create like a an artistic mobile game to prove that it is still a platform worthy of uh, developers' time. Um, yeah. But yeah, it is a shame that sort of it's all boiled down to nothing. It does feel like it does a, a disservice to that entire uh, like medium of, of playing on, yeah. on mobile, unfortunately. Like yeah. it's very easy to like look at that whole 
a whole platform and just think, oh, well, uh, developers screwing people over, I guess. So, yeah. I don't know. Sorry, go on. I like referring to people as whales, for instance. Get as much money out of people as you can by doing as as little as possible using um, predatory business practices. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know if if any developers behind Harry Potter games think, oh, it's it's a kid's franchise, so we can get away with doing something half-assed because kids will play it anyway. And actually, there are a lot of people like, you know, myself, I, I grew up with Harry Potter. I was the same age as him every mm. year when, when the books came out. So for me, you know, I'm an adult now and I expect a good game and it might be, a, you know, a kid's book. But there are so many fans who are adults now who would love to experience that world in a more adult way, be it Dark mm. Souls or something else, um, that I think expect a little bit more than, than just a little throwaway kiddie game. No, I agree. I agree entirely. I think sort of saying that anything's a kiddie game is always risky um but certainly like i mean if it ever comes out but um the new marvel superheroes game from square um that's that's sort of trying to move the needle away from the sort of the the slightly kiddier stuff that's that's going sort of all in i'm i'm genuinely am surprised that that the sort of nobody's tried to sort of really do a good harry potter game and, and as you say, it doesn't have to be Hogwarts. It doesn't have to be casting spells and all the kiddie crap. It can, you can go hard in. You could just, in any kind of RPG, sandbox, open world, uh, mm-hmm. as, as you say, sort of Dark Souls inspired games. It, there's there's so much potential there. Um, so yeah, that's that felt like a waste. How about you, Mia? What have you been reading? Well, I've uh, I've actually been uh, reading about uh, Safe in Our World, which is a video games uh, mental health charity, and they've uh, been bringing forward a uh, new mental health campaign called Level Up Mental Health. Mm-hmm. And basically, what that is is like the aim of that um, is to uh, well, it's to make everybody's mental health better in in the world of gaming. Uh, but they're starting off with uh, developers and uh, publishers and trying to set up like a uh, framework within that in order to um, help help uh, help developers in terms mm. of, of just having somewhere to go to, having those systems put in place so they have that support network. Because um, obviously there's so much stuff in terms of like development that, that can get under people's skin and just like ruin your day. Um, for instance, crunch. I know crunch has been like mm-hmm. a hot button topic over like the last... Uh, year or so and and it's glad to see that that hasn't really gone anywhere yet that there actually are actively people taking steps to make changes around that i've not really heard much on the um developer end in terms of like the changes that they made i know that for a while there there was a lot of like news articles about oh we you know crunch is bad and here are the changes that we're, we're making but like it seems to have died down now but knowing that there's there's systems being put in place to help like combat this i think is extremely important um because you've not only got like crunch equals bad games at the end of the day (laughs) like you want to end up with like another anthem situation where you're just playing to to deadlines um developing and just destroying your own health in the process i mean like i think some of these uh some devs like i think one in six devs like work a 60 hour work week which is kind of insane that's crazy um mm-hmm. yeah, yeah it's, like 
it, it's awful and and i think having a charity that's sort of come forward not only to sort of there's been a lot of discussions obviously there's been a lot of charitable work that happens there's been a lot of sort of things mm-hmm. that focus on the good the bad the ugly of gaming both inside and outside the industry um but i think having a charity be formed uh sort of this time last year specifically focused on uh mental health in the industry um and i believe they're sort of um that they're built around the, the sort of both sides of this coin so that in the industry and, and in the player sphere itself and yeah i think like stage one is there like stage one is getting the industry well, the theory yeah. is if it, if the industry is is demonstrating good practices internally that then that will bleed mm. out to the outside and that does sort of make sense um but for me that the sort of key thing i think and obviously we're talking with these uh with safe in our world later on in this episode specifically um but it, it's just good that the industry it's the industry themselves have sort of done this that this is this was founded mm. by three industry people like long-term industry people uh, that sort of all realized that this is not good enough because you're right there has been a lot of effort recently um to to change up the crunch culture to change up all that sort of really uh, shitty side of things um and i think more and more people are taking it more seriously as well i mean back in the day back in the day like a matter of years ago, we expected games to be delivered on time. Whereas now we're seeing more and more games that are being bumped um, because the companies don't want their people being crunched. Um, there's been some oh, shit. Definitely, yeah. There's been some shit examples, obviously, of, of recent games that have still crunched. But that I, I feel like people are picking up on the fact that players now kind of want to know how their game was made. Like they want to play. Yeah as players we want to play ethical games we feel dirty playing a game that maybe has a bit of blood on their hands i don't mean that yeah, I, I, wouldn't, I, I don't really mean i wouldn't that, want to but... play a game that that somebody like like ruined somebody's life over you know and i That's think it, a lot exactly, of yeah a lot of gamers are like reasonable now um like of course like if you say there's going to be a delay there are going to be people who like you know, they start screaming about it. Mm. That's that's the internet for you. But like most people, genuinely just go by the old adage of you know, uh, I think like a rushed game is always bad, but like a delayed game is eventually good. Mm. Or I think it was like a, I think that's a Miyamoto quote of some kind. I think um, so, yeah. But yeah, yeah. But like most people, again, are reasonable and that they will allow for that. Um, I'm hoping that they, they're they also going to be um, looking at, and maybe this is something uh, you've talked to them about, um, at the harassment side of things as well, mm. how, like, how they cope with harassment in terms of like the internet as a point. Because like I feel like dehumanization as well is probably one of the biggest problems. Like with game developers, you don't really see them as people. You usually see them like as like the game devs as a company or publishers and you kind of lose that sense of like one-to-one okay these are actual people like on the other side of things and again i feel like that's just inherent of the the internet in general so hopefully there can start to be some work to try and develop solutions to how do you humanize uh the industry absolutely make it and i think what's interesting as well you mentioned diversity and stuff in there and i think that Mm. this all goes hand in glove it's not like we're going to deal with mental health and we're going to deal with diversity. I think increasing your studio's diversity is good for mental health. I think there are, there are multiple and certain, certain bad practices that lead to shitty mental health also by addressing that will increase diversity. So the sort of the old boys club, Mm -hmm. the lads, lads, lads kind of culture, um, shit for mental health, shit for diversity. Um, 
And I think addressing all these sort of things holistically, I think, is is a really positive thing. So, yeah, I mean, it's great that they're doing what they're doing. Um, full support, obviously, from us. And uh, we're obviously going to talk to them a bit more in depth later on in this episode. Uh, so yeah, to hearing it. Yeah, me too. I haven't done it yet. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Um, cool. I'm going to uh, use my slot about the news uh, to talk about DigiPride. Now, DigiPride um, is our response to the slightly weird place we find ourselves in at the moment. Um, obviously, for all the right reasons, uh, prides around the world uh, are being cancelled. So Pride in 2020 is going to feel a bit different. Um and that's where sort of gaming magazines DigiPride comes in. Um, we're launching on the 1st of June. So, or launched on the 1st of June, if you're listening to this after the 1st of June. And it's lasts for three months. So we're June, July and August. So we've got 90 days worth of Pride related activities. Um, we have some amazing things planned out. We have a regular content coming out every single day. Amy and I are sort of working furiously with our, our people to sort of uh, make sure we've got all some good content, some good reviews, previews uh sneak peeky sort of uh gameplay opportunities um and we also do have uh some pretty big uh, little headlines so i'm just going to run through some of the highlights of what is coming up and something to look forward to uh pride warriors is a three episode animated web series created for and by the lgbt community um this is produced by the guys i talked about uh not 20 seconds ago uh who produced enter the reveries the art the rt mobile game um they are producing this series of hand illustrated uh animations uh following the hilarious misadventures of three lgbt superheroes as they try and save pride from right white supremacist terrorists infected with the morona virus um and that's that's reach Yes, exactly. Uh, it's quite so they'll the be debuting. Virus, on... but I don't know. I don't know if that's realistic. <laughs> Come on. True. It's, it's a it's a big ask. So they videos are de- uh, will be debuting throughout July, and then we actually are then inviting uh, indie developers to step in and take part in a game jam, uh, which mm. is taking place throughout August, uh, using the art assets um, of Pride Warriors to accelerate. And to move that story forward in whatever way they see best. Um, so that would be really interesting to sort of see how they translate what pride is to them and how to defeat uh, and how to sort of like um, battle for pride uh, using the pride mm. warriors throughout July and August. Um, in late June, we have a queer video game art exhibition. Uh, Alex Taylor, who's been on this podcast previously, uh, is curating uh, a group of LGBT video game artists to display their art. Uh, virtually on gaming um we have um a series of streams um by our rainbow arcade twitch team partners um who will be delivering a weekly digi pride stream which is celebrating lgbtq streamers across 12 weeks um sometimes they're going to be streaming some cute little preview plays of games that haven't come out yet that we're working with our sponsors on uh, otherwise they'll be celebrating some queer classic uh, streams throughout the period um omg it's digipride uh so out making games is the uk video games industry representation group uh and we are co-hosting a panel discussion with them at the end of june um, about working from home in the games world 
uh, quite topical discussion, given the sort of current mm. thing and the impact that coronavirus has had on people in different ways. Um, so that's going to be more of a nice industry thing. That's going to take place at the end of June. We're going to have a queer virtual cosplay parade, um, which will be in middle of July. Um, and we're inviting everybody to dust off your cosplay and get ready to stomp the runway in your own backyard. Uh, we're inviting queer cosplayers to submit videos, uh, one minute video of them parading around in their best cosplay. And then we're going to stitch all that together into one big sort of supercut video, which will be a queer cosplay parade. Uh, so that'd be fun. Um, and then Ed is one for you. Uh, Justin Moore from Rainbow Arcade is back with a special DigiPride installment of, li of Little Miss Butch Bay. Yes. <laughs> it's so much fun. <laughs> Which, uh, yes, we, we talked about this previously, didn't we? So Ed obviously went along to go and visit season three, I think, of Little Miss Butch Bay. Yes, that's the one. Uh, which is a uh, an Animal Crossing-based drag competition. Uh, so we're going to have a DigiPride special edition of that taking place in early August. Um, and the last sort of major headline is Gaming Magazine Plays D&D. Um, we have our very own Amy Hart uh, will be uh, DMing a game of D&D with four other um, gaming magazine greats um and yeah we're sort of we're looking forward to that it's going to happen right at the end of august um while we get all the sort of story and stuff built out but it will be a three-hour one-shot uh campaign um that will stream live or stream i don't i'm, I'm, I'm actually gonna i'm gonna walk back the word live there uh we're gonna stream it um and uh, people can sort of like watch and join in and and sort of heckle from the sidelines um so yeah so that's that is digipride alongside all of that we've got loads of other fabulous content we've got a huge competition that's launching next week that I'm not going to talk about that I believe we have nearly 50 prizes for now. Um, so loads of different game codes, loads of fun stuff to win. Uh, and yeah, it's going to be three months of some fantastic pride work. Um, and I'm, I'm super proud myself of, of what we put together. We just have to execute it now, <laughs> which, uh, and, and of course the podcast is going to keep rolling forwards throughout this time as well. And we're going to be interviewing uh, sort of pride related topics and people and games and, loads and loads and loads of fun fabulous stuff that's going to last for three months uh, and it's going to be really really good with those big tentpole moments that were built into it yeah i guess one one positive of all this is that rather than pride being one short event it can now go on for three months with with loads of stuff that becomes much more global and everyone can get involved digitally so it's not just a a one day mm -hmm. or one week kind of thing actually there's there's a huge amount of, of stuff going on over a really long period so that's, Abs that's yeah amazing, absolutely yeah yeah and it's you're right it, it what we're seeing i think is that the blending together sort of the, the the geography almost of pride is is breaking down and that's a good thing because it's no longer sort of just a pride here a pride there it's a global pride mm. the community from all four corners of the world sort of coming together to celebrate this one thing See, I, I love the idea of that because as somebody who's never actually attended like a, a Pride event, never really had the chance in the past to get out there. And I imagine there are other people that have never like been or, or had mm. the opportunity to to go to a uh, a local Pride event. Like this is a, an alternate opportunity to take part in the same uh, festivities and, and celebrate just being open and out there and, and who we are. And uh I'm really hoping that this is something that can continue into into 
more years potentially. I'd, I'd really like it to. I mean, we, mm. we, we've we been doing some other sort of pride activity, not just for gaming, but for us, some of our other titles that we run. Um, mm. And we've been doing sort of virtual events. And, and we've said now that we're going to keep doing these virtual events because, as you say, it's, it, it breaks down geography, it breaks down the barriers, but it also breaks down some socioeconomic stuff, just to throw that word in, um, around sort mm. of like accessibility, disability, um, people that can or can't or, or don't want to go and do sort of big crowds. Um, that's a way still to be engaged, still to get quality sort of pride-related activities from, from the sort of safety and security or, or whatever uh, of your own personal space. Um, and, and that for me is really important. And also, yeah, bringing, bringing communities together um, without borders, um, LGBT sans frontier, if you will. And I think it's sort of um, it's it's really important to sort of keep this going. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm super proud to be doing what we're doing. And yeah, you wouldn't be able to do a three month event; it would kill me. Um, but we can do <laughs> we, we can do three months of digital stuff, no problem. Um, so yeah, that starts on the first of June. Uh, check out Gaming Mag uh, for all the details. Keep your eye out for the Digi Pride logo. Um, anything that with that on is an official Digi Pride thing, whether it's on our site or other people's sites or. Twitch streams or, or whatever else. And, and loads more information of this will come out across, as I say, we've got three months to worry about it. So we've got three months worth of content will come out. Um, there's a preview article on gaming that has sort of all those headlines in. Go and check that out. Um, and then, yeah, 1st of June, there'll be a big announcements will start taking place about all the sort of those key headline moments that we talked about. Um, and yeah, just keep your eye out for the logo. So yeah, uh, read that, do that, have fun be prideful uh check out all the other stories that gay and magazine's got as well and coming up after the break i'm talking to safe in our world uh, but for now it's a big goodbye and a big thank you for joining me to ed and mia thanks so much Aaron. thanks everyone yeah. lovely to talk <laughs> and yeah. we'll see you again soon and we'll see you all after the break did you know that gaming magazine now has a discord channel Come and enjoy more chat, gossip and gameplay with your fellow gamers from around the world. Visit GamingMag.com forward slash Discord to get started. Welcome back. I'm joined by my special guests this week, Imogen and Gareth from Safe in Our World, the global games industry mental health charity. Welcome both. Thank you very much. Hello. It's great to be here. How are we? Coping. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's probably the best way to put it. I am... Uh... I'm on holiday, but beyond bored. Um, <laughs> I, I can't do anything. I, I occasionally get emails back from people that are like, I, I, I'm out of office on holiday. And it's like, are we really still on holiday? Are, we are people of, uh, taking holidays? To... <laughs> That's it. <laughs> what are we doing? Going to our lounge instead of our office at home yeah. for a change? <laughs> My train was down to the balcony. Where... <laughs> yeah, oh, you've got a balcony. Lucky you. Uh, I know. I do have a field on either side of my office. Oh, nice. So that is a nice view. Yeah, I know yeah. how to rock and roll. <laughs> Very good. Now, we're, we're here today, obviously, talking about safe in our world. So why don't you start things off uh, by talking to our listeners about the sort of headlines of safe in our world? So safe in our world is the video games mental health charity. And our aim is to do a number of things. The first is to raise awareness of mental health, which a lot of people try and do. And we recognize that a lot of people are doing that. And that's a good thing. But one of our aims is to actually affect positive change within the industry. Um, and that's important because if we make that change within our, within our industry, it will reflect outwards towards the players. Um, 
there's a number of things that Safe and I will do, um, be that training, advice to employers, a resource for uh, for players or anybody affected by mental health issues. There is a website with so much information that took so much time and work to do, um, but we're really pleased that it's actually being used, which is a great thing. Um, but there, so if anybody doesn't know, plug number one, safeinourworld.org. Uh, any information that you you need is likely on there. Awesome. Um, how did it all start, Imogen? How do, how when is it, did it sort of come about? What was the inspiration behind it? I'm gonna I'm gonna take that one rather than Imogen, uh, simply because um, I was involved a little earlier. Sorry. Okay. Cool. Um, 2017. Um, there was a company called Y Productions, um, and they were looking to publish a game that had uh, just released on PC called uh, The Town of Light, and it dealt with some mental health issues uh, specifically within the narrative, which um, which we thought were quite important. And uh, that was myself, I was working that from the PR side. Uh, there was a, a guy called Leo Zillo, who is the managing director of Wired. He was really passionate about it. And uh, a couple of other guys called uh, Neil Broadhead and Al Hibbard. Uh, Neil and Al were product managers. Um, and we we're all struck by this story and it was, it was mainly a, a, a realization that we could do a bit more. And it originally started as an idea, an initiative. What can we do? And Safe in Our World as a thing didn't exist. Um, it was how can we do something to help anybody that's suffering from mental health and use this platform that this game provides as a way to reach people. Um, one of the initiatives we did was um, we gave a high percentage of the profits from the game to a company, sorry, a charity called Take This in the US. Uh, Take This is uh, the, uh, a US mental health charity for the video games industry. Um, and they're actually a partner of Safe in the World, which is great. Uh, we're working with them and other people. But once we'd put this game out and once we'd done this little activity and we raised, I think it was somewhere in the region of $10,000 uh, for Take This through, through the game. We sat down and we thought, surely there is more we can do. And thus was born we must do more, let's start a charity. Now, nobody tells you how hard it is to start a charity. Um, it is phenomenally hard uh, to actually put the work in to start a charity. It took us two years from the idea of the charity to actually launching that charity. Um, it's a lot of paperwork. There are lots of things you find out what you can and can't do. Um, but generally, it was, it was born out of the idea that there is more that we can do and we believe there's more the industry can do. Um, so that's that's the origin, uh, not as good as Wolverine, um, <laughs> but that is the origin. That's great. So as a whole, why is mental health in gaming important? I mean, I would have to say that mental health is important everywhere, but you are right. It is particularly important in gaming for quite a few reasons, in my opinion. And it's the it's only it's the only entertainment medium that is truly interactive, in my opinion. You're, you're taking part in a story that's unfolding. You're driving it to its conclusion in a way that I don't think other forms of entertainment can or really do offer. So when you think about games as a as a means to make change, they can offer a truly engaging safe space to explore all kinds of things, whether that's sexuality, identity, and of course, as we're talking about, mental health. Gamers get to see stories about mental health or, I don't know, characters who are suffering with mental health problems and hopefully be exposed to these issues in a representative and a diverse, realistic way. 
they can see if they identify with those stories or perhaps even not. That's just as important as well. It's something that they can perhaps recognize in a friend or a family member. So the crux of the issue here is that gamers are just so, so passionate. And if you can engage them on mental health through games, there's such great potential to drive significant awareness around mental health that will hopefully only serve to drive a much more positive climate around these kinds of discussions. That's really cool. And I think it's, it's a, as you say, it's a very important thing uh, to be embraced by the industry. And of course, mental health as a whole is obviously really important. But I think you're right, the games industry does have a specific and quite unique role to play in this as well. Um, 100%. Last week, uh, the Safe in Our World launched uh, the hashtag Level Up Mental Health campaign. Uh, someone tell me more about that. Where did that come from? And I believe that's very industry focused. I'll let Gareth take this one. Yeah, so that was, um, that was, it was born out of something that we were, we were looking to do. And that was provide employers with a bunch of resources so they can implement their own mental health policies within the workplace. And the good news is the response to it has been amazing. Um, we had a bunch of partners already on board uh, prior to launch um, and we had to hold the press release for until probably five minutes prior uh, to the press release going out because there was another company to put in which is amazing and the moment we sent it out we've had no end of emails coming in uh, uh, just getting in touch to say we believe this is a great thing how can we be involved um, there are a lot of companies uh, on the website if you go to the um, if you go to the about us section there are a lot of companies that are involved as partners and there's a level up section with those that are committing to the the three things that we are asking people to do and those three things are to commit to putting in place mental health policy or procedures within the next 12 months to signpost for mental health awareness via social channels uh, and to join safe another world as a partner now there are there is no there is no need to give money to do that um we we fundraise in lots of different ways as a charity but there is no financial burden placed on anybody that wants to do something about their mental health policies in the workplace but we believe game gamers are passionate the industry is passionate the industry seems to be more passionate about about putting mental health policies in place and that's an amazing thing because it 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 will help end crunch culture mm. it will help make those who work within the games industry more open to discussing mental health issues. It will help to reduce the mental health issues in the industry, predominantly with stress. It can't it can't change everything. Um, we might aim to change everything, but it is a long, long road to do so. Um, the the interesting element of the Level Up Mental Health campaign is that it's not last week. It's not next month. It is an ongoing process that we will continue over the next uh, next number of years. Um, and part of that is to bring in as many partners as possible. We've already got some some huge partners involved, such as the Embracer Group, which is all of their studios that are underneath that. 505 Games, um, plenty, and I'm gonna miss out lots of names, so apologies if anybody's waiting for a name check. Um, I don't have the website in front of me, it's not gonna happen. But there are a lot of companies that are already involved. There are more that have been in touch since. Um, I can only describe it as a great success. The only, the only downside to this, and I'm going to call out the press on this, um, is that there's been some really good coverage of it. Um, but what's interesting is that the press are, are, are not covering it as much as I would like to. I would like to see them do it. Um, and that's not a dig at the press. Um, 
But if we're going to make a change from an industry point of view and from a gamer point of view, that means the press too. Um, so the one, the one, the one outlet I will call out is PC Games N um, because Network N as a company has joined as a partner. So they're now committed across their list of publications to ensure that there is a mental health policy within the workplace that they're sharing on messaging and that they're a partner, which is three small things. There's no burden to entry in terms of financial um, impediment, um, but they've already set their stall out. And the good news is that there are other people who have done that as well within the editorial publishing industry. So watch this space on that. But so far a success. And our aim is to just, that is that is the beginning of the corporate side of what we're going to do. Um, and there are lots that's coming from the consumer side in terms of those that play games, um, our players within our industry, those that want to get into the industry to, to as a career, there's much more we're going to be doing from that side as well. So this is kind of, this is what we class as kind of phase one of 50 million phases. <laughs> um, but it's, it's why I would say it's been a great start. That's awesome. Um... You mentioned when you were just talking there about uh, crunch and stress and, and those sort of things. Um, what are some bad examples of working environments that you're hoping could change as a result of this campaign? Yeah, so as, as Gareth said, crunch culture is something that is unfortunately very present in this industry um, as one of the key examples of what we would say is a poor working environment. Crunch culture, for those who don't know, being where teams are pushed quite often towards the end of a product's development to meet a deadline that can only be achieved through working crazy hours, which results in problems like burnout and stress. That said, there have been some really notable examples in recent memory with big games being delayed when they're just not ready, um, rather than having employees crunch to hit release. Uh, one such example is Animal Crossing, and Doug Bowser, who's the president of Nintendo US, actually cited the importance of employees maintaining a work-life balance as a driving factor, driving factor behind one of the decisions. And this is such such a positive step, and it really sets the bar very high for other companies to follow suit. And you know, as Gareth said, we certainly hope that the Level Up Mental Health campaign will drive greater awareness amongst our partner companies about the negative effects of crunch culture and how it should be avoided. Equally, though, there was a study that came out from Yuki, which is the Association of UK Interactive Entertainment, and they discovered something which is really interesting and I'd say quite surprising. Um, when you look at the, the job roles um, that were presenting most highly with poor mental health, actually writing and quality assurance or QA reported the highest rates of depression and anxiety. So you can argue that QA would fall into the category of job roles that we would typically associate with crunch culture, but I don't think writing is something that we would typically associate, associate with that culture, at least how it's portrayed in the media today. And I found this particular piece of the study really quite enlightening. And I think it's really important because it shows that issues of mental health in the games industry do actually go quite a bit deeper than perhaps what we um, what we believe or what we what we think and goes into different professions than perhaps we typically would expect. So hopefully the Level Up Mental Health campaign will help show that there are all kinds of people in all kinds of roles in this industry that can suffer from poor mental health due to poor working conditions. And we need to be conscious of that. It was really interesting, that study. Um, it, I believe it's the same census that revealed that 21% uh, of the UK games industry uh, identified yeah. as LGBTQ. Staggering, yeah. Which is amazing um, from a sort of visibility number. Um, but in that same study, I remember, I remember actually reading that 
LGBTQ people had were experiencing higher rates of uh, mental health concerns. Um, mm -hmm. Are there any uh, particular steps that this campaign is taking specifically for LGBTQ people? So you, you are right that it is an unfortunate fact that LGBTQ people are more likely to suffer from poor mental health. And we definitely saw that in the UQ survey. Um, it, you know, people of all kinds of identities across the spectrum over-reported versus heterosexual counterparts. Um, so the Level Up Mental Health campaign is targeting employers in the games industry. And as you're right, 21% of uh, games industry employees reported being LGBTQ. And that's versus a 3 to 7% representation in the general population. Yeah. It's a bit, the data's a bit... Uh, a bit squiff, shall we say. It depends on how you look at it and how you interpret it as to what that, whether it's the three to seven percent range. But even a conservative, like, you know, even a conservative estimate, that is three times as much, if my math is correct, yes, three times as much versus the general population in the industry. And I was really, really surprised to see that. Um, so given the number of great partners that we've already got on board, we're really hopeful that LGBTQ employees, of which we know there are many in the UK games industry, will see mental health and mental health resources much more readily and positively discussed in their workplace. There is, however, uh, a complicating factor that not an insignificant number of members of the LGBT community report problems accessing healthcare, or a distrust or even avoidance of healthcare for fear of judgment, discrimination, their needs not being understood, etc. Um, and, you know, when it comes to uh, trans individuals, that rockets... Mm up to about, I think 61% or something, 60%, I can't remember, but really high numbers. And Stonewall did a report on this in 2018, and the results were really quite worrying. So it shows that there is definitely a need for greater relations between the LGBTQ community and our healthcare systems, but it also highlights a really important need for specific LGBTQ mental health resources, where people can feel much more comfortable opening up without fear of discrimination or reprisal. Um, we do have a section on our website about LGBTQ mental health, um, but I do think there is more that we can do to improve these resources. And it's something that I actually plan on working on in the coming months. Excellent. Um, sort of moving on, I mean, you mentioned obviously about sort of resource on the website. Um, and obviously, uh, it's definitely something that everyone should go and check out because I think we can all learn something from those great resources. Um, are there any sort of key ways in which you're encouraging companies to support their workers' mental health? Is there any sort of key activities that people can undertake? So there are there are a number of simple things that we're doing, first of all. Um, unfortunately, some of them are slightly held back by uh, COVID-19 yes. and the current situation we're in. Um, anybody that joins Safe in the World as a partner, um, as a company, they'll be given a number of resources. One of which is a an employer's toolkit that is that is developed uh, in in association with Rethink Mental Health. Uh, sorry, Rethink Mental Illness mm -hmm. uh, is the proper name. Um, so this is a twenty nine page document um, that has been worked on for six months or so since we first announced the charity. There's a number of people that worked on that who are referenced at the back of it who did incredible work, including Emmy, uh, in just creating this document with Rethink Mental Illness and making sure it was relevant to the games industry. Um, so there's that to start off with. That will give them things to aim for to try and improve the mental health of and well-being of staff just by following procedure, um, by offering the right 
uh, advice and the right access uh, to resources, whether that is from our website or whether that is specific training that is available, um, whether that's mental health training or specific training for people like community managers or even PR professionals or you know any anybody that is involved in the industry we're, we're, we're working with people to create specific training that's relevant to them um, which I think is important because the difference between somebody like me who traditionally works within PR um, th my my interaction with the comments section of a website or with social media mm. or with forums is minimal partly because I don't really want to read the comments yes. but uh, those that work within community management or social media, they have to read the comments, they have to analyse the comments, they have to respond to uh, those that play our games, although that have actually have issues or have feedback. And mentally, that's very different to something I would experience in my day to day role. And what that means is they need to be prepared for that and they need to be given the resources and the training that allows them to cope with it because there is a very, a very different level of stress or a very different interaction level um, across the industry depending on the, the job role that you do so we're looking to do that um, and we're doing that online as well as in person when we're allowed to see each other again or as i like to refer to it when we're allowed to out to play again yes then other simple stuff when offices reopen everybody that signs up gets a bunch of posters uh, and those posters are really simple things that you put around the office that says uh, that say things such as if you need to talk, talk to somebody and then it'll point you to the website or it'll point you to um, a specific person within that organisation that is trained to talk to you. Um, most companies that are out there are actually are actually trying to put in place a lot of this stuff already, which is great news. What we're trying to do is standardise it mm. and make more resources available um, and encourage more companies to do, do things in a similar way. And while posters may seem like a small thing for somebody who's suffering that poster might make the difference between them actually talking to somebody about it or it just becoming something they can't deal with um and so i think there's five posters to start off with there will be more um there is a, the thing about uh running a mental health charity is there's so much stuff there really is so much stuff that we're trying to do um and we are only at the beginning of this journey um there is there is a, a bunch of of activations that we're going to be doing over the next 12 months alone um, that will be that will keep me and Immy and the the trustees incredibly busy. Um, <laughs> we're, we're about to hire our first person because we we need that support ourselves because our, as trustees, we have we have things to do like jobs. Mm. Um, and we need somebody to to come in and help us do that. So that's something we're doing in the short term and this person actually is going to be the liaison between every partner um and and much more than that so it's good news that we get to employ somebody because i personally love employing people it's one of my favorite things uh, is giving somebody a job um but yeah there's so much stuff i could i could go in go on talking forever um and i know that i'm in pr and i love talking anyway so i'm going to stop <laughs> at that point but there's so much. It's, it's, the, it's the tldr so much stuff awesome um we mentioned earlier obviously around uh working to sort of improve this not only for the industry but also for the experience of the players themselves um and i think it's always i think it's always the sort of case that if it's if a game is produced with uh, a sort of positive mental health in mind 
then that will cascade down into the game that they are making. Similarly, you mentioned obviously Animal Crossing has been a good example of that. But similarly as well, sort of like regarding wider equality and diversity things, if they're made in a better and healthier environment, then it just makes a better and healthier game. Um, is there anything, obviously we talked about, obviously this is phase one of 50,000 or 5 million or whatever we're saying. Um, is there any sort of examples of how uh, Safe in Our World uh, is going to work with players um, in, in the future? So thanks to Gareth for committing us to a 50,000 step plan. <laughs> um, <laughs> much appreciated. No um, <laughs> so you, yes, so we obviously, we've been talking quite a lot about how we're supporting uh, the companies of the industry. Um, but, but yes, we, we do have a focus as well on, on the players of the community and of the industry. And I think you hit the nail on the head, actually. When, when I come to think about the ways that we support players rather than necessarily, should we say, the makers, um, 100%, when we're, we're looking at supporting the people that make the games, the hope is that there is going to be this trickle-down effect, that if you, if you get the people in an environment who, sorry, if you get the people who make the games in an environment that is positive and is healthy when it comes to mental health, and you get them engaged on this topic, Think about how that could go on to affect their content. Now, that may be that they go on to make specific content, specific games about mental health, or it may be something as simple as just a character in their game has a mental health condition and it's discussed in a positive way. It's just that characters maybe will end up with more layers to them than perhaps we've seen before. So when you change the culture and you change the dialogue, it's certainly not unreasonable to hope and presume that this is going to lead to a more positive mental health representation in the games that players will end up playing. Um, on the other hand, Safe in Our World acts as a community in itself for gamers, for people across the whole spectrum of gamers. So as well as being um, a resource site as well. So we share real world stories of people in the industry who suffer from poor mental health. Um, you know, the people that make perhaps your favorite game, you may well find that there's an article on our website about this person really struggling with a personal issue. And we hope that what that's going to do is show people that mental health is not something to be afraid of. It's something to, to not not be talked about. We also like to highlight positive mental health representation in games, and we like to talk about our favorite games that do a really good job of talking about mental health. Um, and through our social channels, whether that's Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, we like to engage with players on positive mental health discussions. And, and as we've talked about, we have a really extensive list of resources on our website. It can be incredibly overwhelming when you, you realize that I, I need support, but how does one go about doing that? That is, that is, that's quite a frightening prospect. How do you go and get support? And so under the guise of gaming, which Safe in Our World is a gaming mental health charity, we, we hope and we really, we, I think we have seen people come to the website, you know, in a familiar, it's in a familiar environment that's something that's not as overwhelming as just using Google to, I have need for mental health support. And they can go on our website and they can look through in an accessible manner the different resources that are available to them. How is it they're feeling? Maybe it's this. Here's where you can go and get support. So it's, I think it's a two-pronged approach. Um, and I think, you know, we will continue to, to work on our player engagement as well. I think the focus on the Level Up Mental Health campaign obviously is quite prevalent right now. But it's just as important to us to really focus on the people that play the games as well as the people that make the games. Absolutely. I think sorry, just to jump in, sorry, there's, there's one other thing on our website that I think is quite important. 
Um, and this isn't a plug for the website, but it is a really, really <laughs> thing. Um, whatever page you're on on the website, there is always something that hovers over every page. Uh, when you first enter, it's on the right-hand side. When you scroll the page, it's on the right-hand side at the top. But it is a very simple message that says, need help, click here. And you're then presented with two things. Uh, I need to contact someone about my own mental health or someone I know, or I want to find out more about mental health conditions. Now, if you click on the, I want to find out more about mental health conditions, it will take you to a bunch of resources. But if you click on, I need to contact someone about my own mental health or someone I know, what it will then do is for the majority of major territories around the world, it will list contact details for somebody you can talk to, whether that is online, whether that is a phone number, whether that is by email. There are multiple, multiple ways of seeking help immediately and anonymously, if you so wish, um, for, for lots of different charity organisations, for support networks and support services, for, as I say, major countries around the world. There's a list of around 25 at the moment. Um, that's something we're looking to expand as well as we, as we go a bit more internationally. Um, but that is a really, really valuable um, service that we do offer is the ability to speak to people and know who to speak to about specific conditions or if you want to talk to somebody immediately because you just need somebody to listen that's that's really important and that that is as we say for the creators but just as just as um, as important is the players and i think having those points of contact are super super important um so that's that's really cool that, that that's there um and i think it's it's as i say just an important service to connect these dots together um Amy, you mentioned um in your last answer around some games that obviously are good for mental health or have good portrayals. I mean, off the top of my head, I can think of Celeste that came out last year was a great game for that. And obviously Night in the Woods uh, was a great game for sort of self-identity, PTSD, etc. Um, one thing I do love about the Safe and Our World website is that you do have a list of games that are good for your mental health. Um, are there any sort of highlights on that list that you sort of would recommend as being really, really good games or good examples of this sort of thing? I I will always have a very soft spot in my heart for Life is Strange mm. um, across uh, the various uh, iterations of Life is Strange that exist. Um, it, it's I wouldn't necessarily... It's a game, it talks about mental health, it talks about sexuality, it talks about identity in a way that I don't think was, I don't, in my in my experience anyway, I don't think has been very common or was very common up until that point. And it's a very hard hitting game at, at times. I, I think you can't avoid that. But to to see those kinds of issues talked about um, so so in such a well done way, um, I think was really important for my own mental health journey, actually. Um, you know, the first Life is Strange is is something, like I said, is something that is incredibly close to my heart because um, of the way it portrayed certain issues. Um, and I think a lot of people share that sentiment as well. And there's been such a strong community that's, um, that's formed around Life is Strange. Um, I do think as well on the flip side, you can find games that perhaps didn't set out to be uh, about mental health, but actually have gone on to have a really positive effect on people's mental health. Um, particularly right now, during what is a very strange time during the COVID-19 pandemic and lockdown, uh, games are actually getting some really good press recently as a way to occupy time and socialize uh, with people during lockdown. And somewhat 
interestingly, even the World Health Organization suggested that people play games during lockdown as a, as a means to pass time and to keep in contact with friends. So speaking of games that um, perhaps didn't set out to be good about for mental health, but actually have gone on to have that effect, I will go back to Animal Crossing again. I, I, I love me some Animal Crossing. But actually the community around that game has been so overwhelmingly positive and it pretty much came out at the time that lockdown really started to come into effect around the world. And it's just been, I think for me as well personally, and I know for some of my friends and just, you know, when you read things on social media about Animal Crossing, People and strange, like so, friends and strangers alike, are coming together to explore each other's islands, share resources and recipes, and just just having fun at a, in a time that is incredibly stressful. And interestingly, actually, the producer of Animal Crossing uh, New Horizons, who, whose name is Hisashi Nagami, he stated that actually he and the team really hoped that people would use the game as an escape during these very difficult times. And I think we've really seen that to be the case. And I think it's actually one of the most positive stories in the games industry that we've seen in recent memory in terms of how it's had an effect on community and positive um, mental health outcomes. Absolutely. I mean, we're sort of we, we always joke about it a little bit, but this podcast is the start of every podcast, certainly for the last three weeks, uh, three ish, uh, get it right in a minute, three episodes. Um, we always now sort of delve into a bit of Animal Crossing sort of AOB before we actually get on with the rest so of the podcast good. because there's just so much. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I think I would never suggest, obviously, that it was timed to be like that. But I think no. Nintendo certainly Fortuitous. certainly fell exceptionally fortuitously that a lockdown occurred just as this game was being released. <laughs> yeah, hundred um, percent. Same with Disney Plus as well. Uh, lock, mm-hmm. Lockdown was announced. Disney Plus came out. Animal Crossing. That's you sorted, basically. And, yeah. <laughs> and they haven't updated Disney Plus much since then. Well, um, yeah, true. Fair <laughs> my, my kids are watching one film a day on Disney Plus um, simply because it gives them something to look forward to at the end of the day. Yeah. So they went through the entire Mighty Ducks uh, franchise. Oh, amazing. Um, and I'd forgotten half of it, so I enjoyed it as well. Um, but it's they're obviously Disney Plus, but Animal Crossing is. Um, I So I'll be honest. I, I'm a huge Nintendo fan when they make original games. Um, things like Electroplankton, mm. um, Nintendogs. I'm not so much of a Nintendo fan of the games that they keep remaking. Uh, that's my personal <gasps> view. P- people get offended by that. Um, but that's I don't want to see... We, we all want to see another Mario Kart. We all want to see another yeah. um, Mario Bros, right? But I want the next Electroplankton. And I want <laughs> I want the next Nintendogs. Um, but Animal Crossing has changed that for me because it's when i'm when i finish work i can pick animal crossing up half an hour and do everything i need to do and i'm relaxed after that half an hour because my mind is immediately taken off something else so instead of me going right what have i got to do tomorrow what's my to-do list it's actually where can i sell these turnips for the most prices <laughs> what do i need to build and i've done it all in 20 minutes and then i can just sit and wander around the island look at some stars all that yeah. kind of stuff um and it's i just think it's as a game, as as Amy said, it, it there's an element of fortuitousness about it, but at the same time, it's just a really good game. I would say that yeah, the, the stalk market's not great for one's mental health. No. Um, <laughs> I spent all last week hoarding turnips, and then I don't think I got over seventy at any one point throughout the entire week. My own shop, so oh, I've no. sort of developed an irrational uh, hatred towards raccoons. Um, but yeah, yeah, I don't like how you have to go online uh, to get decent turnip prices because um, it's effectively it's it's putting a paywall between you yeah. and hideous money. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
but I, I do like the fact that you don't need to go online to sell them. You just never really get much for them. We've, we've created in the gaming uh, Discord, uh, we've created kind of like a little stock market, uh, stock market, sorry, monitoring where people report their sort of daily uh, rates and we, we all sort of pop around to each other's islands to go and do selling and stuff. So if that's... A bit, Need to get on that. Get on, <laughs> get on gamingmag.com forward slash Discord. A little cheap plug there. Uh, Gareth, is, is there a game particularly that sort of helps you relax? Obviously Animal Crossing we just mentioned. Is there anything else that sort of stands out as being really positive? Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna mention, uh, and if people talk to me often, they will, they will understand um, that I keep bringing this up, but I think Game Pass is the most wonderful thing in the world um, for developers and for players. Um, but there are, there are a few games on Game Pass that have, that have really, really done it for me. Um, Outer Wilds was my game of last year, and that is just brilliant. The musical scores are mm. so relaxing, so wonderful. But there's two games I'm going to pick out. Um, the first one I didn't actually play when it came out because uh, I play a lot of my games on Xbox because I like to step away from my desk into another room. Um, so I'm, I started playing What Remains of Edith Finch um, about nine months ago. Um, and apart from being an incredible game, it's a game that it's, it's, I'm, I'm a big fan of narrative now. I, li I like the experience of story in a short space of time because like movies, I want to experience emotion. And we don't really get that a lot from games, but there was a couple of times in that game where it, it really put pressure on me to think about stuff. And the end of the game, I felt like I felt like there was a payoff. Um, so that made me relax. But there is there is one game that I'm going to call out that I keep talking to everybody about, and most people have never heard of it, which is what Games Pass is brilliant for. Um, there is a game called Old Man's Journey, and Old Man's Journey is a is a platforming narrative adventure, is what I would call it. I'm in PR, so I should probably call it something different to that. <laughs> but uh, as an example, Robin, have you played Old Man's Journey? I, I haven't. Um, I do have Game Pass. So I sort of, you're right, the, the ability to sort of dip one's toe into a variety of games that might not have, have automatically appealed to you is, is something that's like yeah. definitely sort of I'd, I'd worth never exploring. have bought Old Man's Journey without Game Pass. Absolutely. Right? The best way to describe Old Man's Journey is this. It is a 1920s, 1930s oil painting where you have to move the landscape to be able to get from one side of the screen to the next. And the entire time you are on a journey that is narrated at the end of each scene. Um, it is wonderful. It is relaxing. It is, there are moments that made me really sad. Mm. Uh, as in, there was like, I was almost in tears. And the, and the, the end of it, the end of the game is like a feel-good movie where you get that that rush of payoff of that happiness, um, and it's a four-hour game at most. Um, it is simplistic, it is artistic, and it is wonderful. So I would encourage anybody that hasn't tried it uh, to please. If you haven't got Game Pass, it's Game Pass is brilliant. The value in Game Pass is great, but if you if you haven't got it, buy it. If you have got it, download it and play it. You will not regret it. Excellent. I think it's leaving Game Pass soon, actually, because oh. we had a conversation about it yesterday, and yeah, I had a look on my know. console, and I think it popped up and said leaving Game Pass soon. Oh wow! So Go grab it quick. Then. I, I yeah, I've been meaning to get it. I think Gareth might uh, have my head if I don't <laughs> actually end up playing it. And that's the pleasure of these sort of <laughs> short games, isn't it? That I think people have a lot of developers have got lost recently trying to create like the next Red Dead Two, which goes on for like four months. 
Um, but I, I think a, a game that you can literally pick up, it's a full narrative, like an expanded movie almost. Uh, play for three or four hours, put it down, and then walk away quite happy. Like The Outer Worlds, not Outer Wilds, The Outer Worlds, um, that was a relatively short game. Um, but it told a succinct story, did it very well. Um, you sort of got in, got out, and, and that was that, really. Um, and that must be really good, obviously, to fulfill a sort of that mental health ticking box is the ability to sort of play that, that story and in, embrace it as a whole. Well, I would I will admit um, I have a copy of The Outer Worlds uh, because it's also a game pass. Yes. Game. <laughs> um, but I haven't played it yet, so I'm going to have to jump into that and try it. Um, the and Sony do a very similar thing uh, with PlayStation mm. now. So you, if you're a PlayStation owner, then of course you can you can do similar sorts of things. Um, Nintendo does the SNES and the NES stuff included with the um, with the with the monthly purchase i think it is three pounds yeah 3.99 or something yeah um my favorite thing about that though was the free tetris 99 download mm. which i played for the first time last week what an amazing game that is i mean it is literally taking tetris to the next level isn't it um it's, it's like pac-man in a way that um pac-man didn't really evolve till championship edition yeah. uh on the 360. um it's my favorite pac-man uh, tetris 99 is my favorite tetris awesome um it, it's it's just I played it last week uh, for the first time and it took me 10 goes to get into the top 10. <laughs> um, and I really felt a sense of achievement because there's a, there's a moment where it just clicks. Um, and yeah, every platform has or will have its, its version of awesomeness like Game Pass. Um, and there's so many games that you can download that you would, you would never ever explore or mm. look at buying. But they're the ones that probably will affect you more as I found. Um, you, you'll get more from them. You'll, you'll relax more because what you're not do, doing is jumping on on this month's favorite game that everybody's playing um you're trying something different and i think doing things differently and challenging yourself is a really good thing speaking of pac-man it's the 25th anniversary it is pac-man yeah happy birthday pac-man happy birthday pac-man quarter of what, a century what day does this podcast go out uh oh yeah i'm gonna say today because it's friday so I've got to finish this, get editing, and then get it quickly out the door. In that case, then. A couple of days, but yes. Yeah, happy birthday, Pac-Man. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, cool. So there's some great recommendations there, and obviously games are good. Uh, I found it slightly ironic, as somebody said there, that uh, the World Health Organization recommended playing games uh, to get through the lockdown, whereas a few months ago, uh, they defined games as being an addiction. So that was an interesting pivot from the World Health Organization. Um, sorry, go on. I was just going to say that's a very interesting point. Um, games have always had this uh, bad press, predominantly um, with uh, North American and probably UK and, and German uh, mm. outlets where they, you know, games are bad, people get addicted, yep. you know. China now has a law to limit time that people can spend, all that kind of thing. And the World Health Organization said that gaming can be an addiction. And they're right, you know, in, in some cases, some people do get addicted to games. And I think it's important to recognize that. Um, that doesn't mean everybody is. Um, that means some people are more predisposed to doing it. As an, as an example, if you, um, if, you have, if, you, if you suffer with autism, um, you are far more likely to play one game continuously for a longer amount of time 
because it works within the systems that you set yourself or the perimeters of how you can enjoy something. Um, I think it's important to recognize that not every game is good, you know, mm. but the, the opportunity for every game to be good is there. Um, and part of what we're trying to do is, is how we, how we affect that change with the industry, hopefully we'll move that needle a little bit. Um, it's very interesting. The world organization changed their mind very rapidly. Yes. Um, and what I hope is that is the start of a conversation that the World Health Organization has with the games industry rather than just talking at it. Yeah. Uh, it's the best way to put it. I think that's a great way to sort of summarize that and not thinking that games are black and white, I think is really important. Um, so to wrap up then, uh, where can people find out more about Safe in Our World and the hashtag Level Up Mental Health campaign? So you can check out our website at safeinourworld.org um, and you can drop us a follow or a like on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Um, if you work for a company in the games industry and you think that you, you'd like to you know, join us on the Level Up Mental Health campaign, if you head to safeinourworld.org forward slash level dash up, you can find some more details about the campaign and how to get involved. Fantastic. Uh, Imogen and Gareth, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, take care, stay, thank you. stay safe, etc. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for inviting us on. No, no. I, I Absolutely. Excellent. <laughs> that is the end of our episode. Uh, a big thank you to my guests, Ed, Mia, Imogen and Gareth. And an even bigger thank you to you all for listening. We're going to be back in two weeks with our next episode. But in the meantime, keep up with all the LGBTQ video gaming stories on Gaming Magazine. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter so you don't miss any of these amazing stories. We are at Gaming Mag. We'll see you soon. Take care and goodbye.